0: It's going to be incredibly challenging to get a newsletter to four and a half million subscribers again, right? Really hard to do that. And it's because there's more competition out there. And so products are more catered towards people. Um, And so the opportunity is to build, find the next newsletter that can get the 250 or 500,000 subscribers really cheaply, right? Figure out a growth hack to Mm -hmm. do it, get to a quarter million or half million subs and then sell ads like Morning Brew or launch a subscription. And, and my guess, ultimately, the next Morning Brew is gonna be multi-revenue streamed much earlier. Because it's gonna take longer or it's impo- gonna be impossible to get to millions of subscribers, you're gonna to have to have more revenue per user and multi-revenue streamed.
1: What's up, Austin, man? How's it going?
0: Good, how are you? What's going on?
1: Good, good. For those of you watching, Austin is the founder and now CEO of Morning Brew, a daily business newsletter that goes out to more than 4 million subscribers, is it?
0: Yeah, over 4 million now.
1: That's amazing. That's amazing. And you guys have now diversified into multiple different newsletters. There's Marketing Brew, there's Emerging Tech Brew, there's Retail Tech Brew, all of that stuff. And are you comfortable disclosing like annual revenue and stuff like that or ballpark?
0: Yeah, so we have a couple products first. You know, we have the Daily Newsletter, over 4 million. We have a bunch of other industry verticals or job functions. We have HR, retail, marketing, IT, CFO. We're really diving deep into multimedia. So we have podcasts, we're looking to expand podcasts, YouTube content, video content, social content. And lastly, we have consumer revenue. So we have an education team that creates great educational products varying from a day to eight weeks for people who want to up level their career and we will do about 70 million of revenue this year.
1: That's amazing, dude. And how long ago did you guys start? Like when did Morning Brew launch?
0: Yeah, so the first edition of Morning Brew, and there's actually a previous iteration, but the first edition of Morning Brew started March 14th, 2015. Originally it was called Market Corner, and it was sent Mm -hmm. out as a PDF attachment to an email. So we've come a long way from uh, an email PDF.
1: Yeah, no, definitely a long way. And I actually wanted to talk, more about like the future of media businesses where you see the morning group fit into that and like how you are planning for that, especially like in times like this, when like a lot of stuff is changing, media businesses are changing, ad spend is decreasing. So I want to hear more about what you think about the current status of media businesses and how you're trying to deal with it.
0: Yeah, in the industries, it's a tough one, right? Particularly for businesses that have received venture funding, over the last decade, right? I think what we've seen is those are really tough to provide venture-like returns. There's diminishing marginal returns of levels of investment in lots of profit products, and it's tough to have product market fit in a bunch of products. For consumer subscription, consumer business in general is tough, but consumer media, whether you're an ad based business or a subscription business, your average revenue per users, your LTVs are measured in the tens or if you're lucky, hundreds of dollars, but retention is quite low and the ad business is tough and it's tough to scale. And so. It's been, a, it's been a rough go this year for the media industry. It'll be really interesting to see. We saw consolidation a couple of years ago. And my guess, we're gonna see more consolidation, more M&A, fewer players in the space.
1: Okay, that's interesting. And then, so since you mentioned like fewer players in the space, what do you think is gonna be the make or break factor for these players?
0: I think the question is, do people actually care about your content, right? It's mm-hmm. a question for everyone, right? Not just the big players, the small players. Do people actually, like when you don't publish your content, When you don't send your content, do people actually care? And I think for a lot of these companies, they're just commodities, right? They hit the internet early, they were early to Facebook, they built a brand, but I would ask for any media company, if the answer is like, if you shut down tomorrow, if no one cared, that's a real problem for your business. And then smart operations, so many media companies have run operations poorly over the last decade. So that's another thing, is being really cost conscious.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. And I think you've come across as a solid operator over the last few years. I want to ac- actually ask you a lot more about that, how you go about hiring and how your role has changed as like CEO from the start where you were like actually just sitting and writing the newsletters to like today, how has it like transformed over time?
0: Yeah. The job obviously changed a lot, right? You go from, uh, building that the product, right? The single product, so writing the newsletter or coding if you're a developer to then you start to replace yourself over time. You hire a marketer who's better than you, a salesperson, a writer, and over time you become a manager of people. And so when the company was 50 people, I was a manager of people. But now I'm a manager of managers, a manager of business owners, of business unit owners. And uh, right now I'm like a rudder, right? I can guide people in the right direction, but I don't actually steer the, the each individual business. So it's very different, right? You have to learn how to motivate and to guide through actions, words, or charts, motivation, goals, as opposed to like actually creating the content or running a Facebook ad.
1: Yeah, no, that's fair. And I think that makes sense. Like initially you start off and you're just doing everything, literally everything you need to do for the newsletter business. And then as and when you can hire you like playing more to your strengths. Did you notice like any weird strengths that you had that you, you didn't really expect or weaknesses for that matter?
0: I think my, nothing particular in terms of like a function. I think one of my strengths is I think I'm very, I'm very much a realist or very much a, in some ways, Mm -hmm. even a pessimist, right? I'm always thinking about worst case scenario and always trying to tie product and business to the finances. And does this product actually make sense? Do these finances make sense for the business we're in? And I think that was particularly hard, not just for us, but for everyone over the last couple of years when everything was going to the moon, as the cool kids say, uh, (laughs) or said. And i think the world's changed and i think being disciplined in hiring and making sure you're the right people in the right seats with the right budgets and the right amount of money is i get very rigid and focus a lot of time on
1: yeah no i completely see that and i see that with the team especially i think i've worked with tyler and the beehive team like last summer and like just seen everyone from morning brew on twitter across twitter like taking over the platform and I think like you guys have built like an amazing team. So what's the hiring secret there? Like how are you finding all these amazing A plus players and yeah. what's the hiring process look like?
0: Yeah, I think we, one, we have a differentiated brand. I think people like it and then engage with it. And I think because of that, we've been able to hire people who maybe are a little more qualified than maybe they should be to work at Morning Brew or be <laughs> in that job function. And then what that does is it builds the flywheel. It's very cliche, Steve Jobs said it best, right? A-plus people get A-plus people and C-people get C-people, right? A-plus people want to work with other A-plus people. So when you bring on these nodes, right, of unbelievable people that people want to learn from, be around, it's contagious. And you start bringing in, you just see it, right? When you hire someone great, they bring in great people. It you can It's yeah. very clear. You can attribute it to certain people. But then what's also really important is there are times where someone's great for a certain role at the company at a certain time, and then they're not great for the next role at the next time. And being able to say, hey, like you're an amazing person for growing this company from 10 million to 20 million or 20 to 50, but we want to get to 100, and that's not your strength. And so we need to figure out a way to move on is also really hard, but really important. And it's something that I think we've done an okay job at. I think it's really hard for any company, but it's really important.
1: Why do you say, okay job? Is there anything you could have done better? Or you think you can still do better?
0: Look, I, I, I think... We have done, we've up leveled the, the company, but it, there's always times you can up level faster. You can be more predictive of what's gonna happen. You can mm-hmm. hire someone who's more experienced for the role, but you have to balance that with the fact that like, money's cash a constraint, money's a constraint. So You can't over hire. That's just as bad as under hiring. And so finding that balance is incredibly hard.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And then was there any like specific way that you guys would find these particular nodes or was it more so like just crazy stories about people doing like, outreach and then you finding those nodes and taking it from there?
0: Nothing super crazy, but like you have to be around and be known and be well networked. For example, there's a guy who works at Morning Brew. He's our publisher now. His name's Jacob, Jacob Donnelly. And he wrote this yeah. newsletter, a media operator. And I read his newsletter. I was like, oh, we got to hire this person. He wanted to start his own company at the time. And I had to convince him why coming to Morning Brew, working here, what we have going here is better for him, better for his career more exciting, more interesting than starting your own thing. And he's a great example of someone we hired. We weren't supposed to, again, he was supposed to start, start his own company and yeah. it worked out quite well for us.
1: Yeah, no, I actually know Jacob because shout out to his community, a media operator. So I'm a part of that. I've met amazing people. I read his content all the time. So he's got a good pulse on what's going on in the media space. So I definitely agree. Yeah, I think that's definitely a cool hire that you made. Definitely seems to be making it work. And that's great. yeah, I, yeah. And I wanted to know more about like recently I've noticed that you guys have gone into emerging tech brew, marketing brew, and then all these other different newsletters. What was the reason behind that instead of going, let's call it the hustle route where they basically built us a, a subscription on top of the newsletter.
0: Yeah. I think what we saw for us, and I can speak about the hustle, but what we saw is our competitive advantage at the beginning was email. We had mm-hmm. aggregated people who loved email and we aggregated people who wanted to read email and we had advertisers who we educated on email. And so we saw there was a lot of opportunity to grow within the email space. And we had all these professionals, we had a big list of people, and we asked them, what what content do you want? What do you want from us? And we got the same answer over and over again. It was, we want Morning Brew, but for my end, I want Morning Brew for marketing, Morning Brew for HR. So it's a no brainer. And also our content is more general than the hustle was, quite niche. It was geared mm-hmm. towards entrepreneurs, right? Maybe the content was somewhat similar, but the tone, the target audience was geared towards entrepreneurs or people want to be entrepreneurial. So it's much easier for them to build a product because their audience is more refined. It was more tight. It was easier for them to build a product than for us.
1: Yeah. So that makes sense. So you basically took like a broader audience and then you asked them what they want and then you basically pick the niches they mentioned and built like almost B2B newsletters out of that. If that makes sense. Yeah. But then, so my next question is why, why do you, there's so many different options for morning brew for X that all the time, all across the internet, like, why did you pick the ones that you picked right now? Like why marketing? Why retail? Why CFO? Yeah. yeah.
0: So we have a little rubric. Mm-hmm. We took this rubric, we, we modified it based off a rubric that Sean Griffey over at Industry Dive has, which is we look towards our one, is there enough content in the space, right? You look for things like, innovation in the space, right? Are there things to talk about three to five times a week? If there's not, we're an ad-based business, we need to create content, right? So is there enough to talk about? That's number one. Number two, is there advertiser demand? We're an ad-based business, we need advertisers. And so there are tricks and hacks to look and see other things, events, conferences, other media properties. Are they full of advertisers? And who would the advertisers be? And then number three, we look at the overlap of how many people work in HR in the daily newsletter? Oh, it's a hundred thousand. That's a great base for us to start with and get our flywheel exactly. turning. We don't grow as much from content on the web. We grow from our newsletters. And so we need to start with a really strong base to get that flywheel going. It's really important for us.
1: Okay. So I'm basically hearing like content and then there's consumer demand, which is like the readers. And then there's ad demand. Like those are the three basic elements of what you would pick. Exactly. And then, yeah. Is there any element of, let's say like the quality? of the consumer demand. Did you specifically look for the readers that have the willingness to spend or was it more so what your readers were already asking for and that's what you prioritized?
0: You're saying so what the readers would spend on? Yeah, the or readers. Or the like, Yeah, the readers. Yeah, so because it's a free product, we're not as worried about our readers' willingness to pay. It's more our advertisers' willingness to advertise. Okay.
1: So that was that was definitely something that went into consideration like when you went into... Okay. Yeah.
0: No, that makes yeah. sense. And
1: then can you like break down the revenue streams right now and like where most of the money is coming from and maybe like where the emphasis is going forward?
0: Yeah, most of the revenue, oh, about 50% of the revenue or a little bit more comes from the daily newsletter. The other newsletters make up the vast majority of the rest and then we have events which are not huge but meaningful to the business for sure. Education, meaningful. In terms of where we're going, right, we want to continue to grow, the, the answer is everything, right? we want to continue to grow the verticals, but also we want to continue mm-hmm. to get scale within multimedia so we can grow that, right? We're in the process of launching a daily video audio show that mirrors, not the newsletter, not like everyone asks if oh, we have an audio version of the newsletter. We don't want to create that. We want to create a product mm-hmm. that is geared towards audio, geared towards video, a conversation between some people talking about daily events. We think that can be really important for us. And so we're really excited about launching that. That should come out early next year.
1: Yeah. No, I, I remember coming to the office and seeing the audio and video studios downstairs. Yeah. The that's studios what really are really cool. It's, yeah. it's it's a lot of fun. Why move away from newsletters to audio video? Are you like noticing a gap? Is that something your readers are asking for? Or
0: yeah. I think you can only expand your newsletter business so big, right? Advertisers <laughs> only spend so much on newsletters. And we think the morning brew brand has the ability to extend into other mediums, right? And our advertisers don't want to just sponsor newsletters. They want to sponsor Multimedia and there's a great opportunity to expand into multimedia to fulfill both demand for what the brand can do, but also for advertisers.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So you're basically like bringing the users what they want. And then it's also, it just happens to be what the advertisers want. Like just advertising across the different platforms.
0: Exactly. Yeah. that's what we Like, that's what your job is when you Mm -hmm. run an ad-based media company, right? When you run an ad-based media company, you have to figure out what is the intersection you always start with the user. What are the products that the what are the products that the readers want and which of those can you monetize and that's just the intersection of those two and then obviously how many readers want it and how big is the advertised demand it quantifies how big the business can be.
1: Yeah no that makes complete sense to be honest. actually like now that you say it it looks a lot simpler than I expected it to be, which is good to know. <laughs>
0: It's simple but it's not easy. Yeah. There's like that spectrum of simple to complex and easy to hard. Mm-hmm. It definitely media in general fits on the simple but hard. It's not easy to resonate with audiences, right? It was everyone would do it, right? And everyone can do. It. Everyone thought they could during COVID, right? Everyone started a yeah. newsletter, everyone started a Substack, everyone started a podcast. It's not easy to resonate with users. It's really hard. Yeah. Which is why it's tough for media companies to hit to to produce hit after hit and to build sustainable long-term businesses.
1: Yeah, completely agree. I'm like, I'm one of those people who started writing in COVID and stuff like that. Hopefully, it's catching some traction, but let's see. Uh, But yeah, no, I'm actually interested in this emphasis on ads. Like, I feel like most, I would say almost all, except the education aspect of it, is a business that is built on ads. Do you ever feel uncomfortable about it? Do you ever feel like it's a little too reliant on ads? And are there any things that you're working on right now that would probably reduce that emphasis on ads.
0: Yeah, look, we want to do both, right? We want to continue to grow mm-hmm. our ads, our ad-based business, because it's, it's successful. But we're also looking to diversify away from ads as well, right? I think what most media companies did wrong, or a lot did wrong, is they didn't, they said, okay, we're going to pivot from ads to subscription. And I think for us, the question is not one mm-hmm. or the other. The answer is, how do we do both? How do we layer these on top of each other? That's the really big question for us, right? Is how do we do both?
1: Yeah. So the idea is build that either ad or subscription model to such an extent after which you can like diversify Is Am I getting that correct?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think ultimately like you want to build one killer product with one revenue stream and then over time evolve that and add on.
1: Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. I always felt like that's the way you should do it. Start niche and like just... Capture that niche so hard that you can diversify and people will follow after that. And I completely get yeah, yeah. that, but like, dude, like I I've been I run a newsletter for like just like 19 or 20 thousand subscribers, and even like getting ads for that is such a pain. I'm like constantly emailing companies, like finding companies on LinkedIn, like reaching out to them, and being like, yo, you want to sponsor my newsletter? I feel like it's a good fit, and all of that stuff. Like, how do you guys deal with it? Like, how did it start, and like, how do you do it now?
0: Yeah, so it's evolved a ton, right? In the early days, it was nigh, and then slowly over time, we hired. But just reaching out to people, like you're saying, on LinkedIn, on, over cold email, just reaching out, and now we have a whole big sales team with a lot of people who have connections in the space and work with big companies, ranging from Fidelity and E-Trade to Lexus and BMW, right, working with the biggest brands in the world to try to get their voice in front of our audience.
1: Yeah, but your ad your newsletter is pretty broad in terms of its audience is there any specific way you go about picking the advertisers is it just like the ones that spend the most or what's the sort of thought process behind that
0: yes yeah, so we're open to promoting and advertising working with most companies we do want to work with companies who we think are a good fit for our audience at the end of the day if mm-hmm. our audience doesn't care about their product it's the ads not going to perform well and then we're just going to be on a cycle a treadmill so yeah, it's based off of the, and we do a lot of surveying. We have a lot of data on our audience, who they are, what they care about. And that is one thing we're doing is we're working really hard to understand who they are so we can provide our advertiser with the best possible experience.
1: Yeah. And I think one thing, so I I read the Morning Brew pretty often and think one thing I noticed that actually gets me clicking on most of the links is like the way it's written. It's almost like a friend is telling you about it. So you're just like, Okay, like I'm a little more inclined to click it. It's not like a sponsored thing. So I don't feel like pressure to just skip it. I want to know more about the tone because I know that Alex was like crazy about getting the tone right, getting the content right. And I think you were too. So what was the thought process? Like when you started it, what was the tone you aspired to hit? And do you think you guys have hit it so far?
0: Yeah, I think, look, like when Alex and I started thinking about Morning Brew, we spoke a lot about the tone. Who was the person? who was going to be writing for Morning Brill, who was that person? And what we realized is like, it, we could speak about the tone, right? We could talk, hey, it's the type of person who, you know, we asked very specific questions, actually. What would this person do on Thursday night? If they had the opportunity to go hear Malcolm Gladwell, speak or go to a bar, what would they do? What classes would they take? And so we got very granular in terms of like, oh, it's the type of person who would go to a TED Talk. They're a little nerdy, but they're also cool. The person who is always super curious and thinking about things and figuring out ways to explain to their friends the complex things that are happening in the world. But we realized that we couldn't write in that tone. And we were successful in doing it for a paragraph or a story, but not the whole newsletter every single day. And so we brought on writers and editors who are really good at writing in that tone. And that really, helped catapult us, take us to the next level was just hiring the right people. Of course, you know, who could speak or sorry, who could write in the tone that we could speak in. Yeah.
1: And that makes sense. I'm actually curious. We have spoken a bit about hiring, like what you look for in the ideal team, but what was the playbook like? like, I I'm in college right now. I'm a junior. I can't even imagine like hiring someone to like, help me write my newsletter right now but I'm guessing like somewhere down the road, if it's like big enough, I would like to do that and focus on growth, for example. So what was your playbook? What was the timeline like? Like when did you hire the next person and the person after that?
0: Yeah, so we hired people in college, right? We were at Michigan. We had a bunch of people help out. And then we had an intern program and interns were helping, right? We would edit Mm -hmm. and editor edited. And so we started getting help as soon as, as soon as we started, 2015, we knew we couldn't do it. And it was a lot of work to do, it was daily. So like we had a final,
1: yeah you know you got <laughs> study for the panel yeah no that makes sense i think i just gotta go for it, ask for help and like just be ready to do that i just i've had this block in my head it's just i want to do it myself and like just handle everything myself like the content the growth all of that stuff but yeah just hearing you say that you started in michigan is yeah i think that's smart and i think something i should definitely consider but that being said like, my newsletter and all these other newsletter opportunities i want to hear like your take on the newsletter space specifically today, because like we've spoken a bunch about like media businesses and how that looks and all that stuff, but most of my audience is like into the newsletter space. So what would you say are the different like categories of newsletters that you see are there, and which would you say are working?
0: Yeah, so I like to classify newsletters in three buckets. Right, bucket number one is editorial newsletters, right? That is your typical Substack journalist or a packy McCormick or Mario from The Generalist who writes a whole newsletter, it's all editorialized, it's one story typically, that's bucket one, bucket two is aggregation, but aggregation of stories that you rewrite, like Morning Brew, for example. And so even within that, there's like aggregation of general business, like Morning Brew and the Hustle or the Skim. And then there's aggregation of niches, like the Morning Brew for X, Milk Mm -hmm. Road was the Morning Brew for crypto. And the last is like a link dump, right? I think the most opportunity is still in the morning brew for X, right? As more people get into newsletters, you're going to have to go more and more niche, create niche content that really resonates with users. It's going to be incredibly challenging to get a newsletter to four and a half million subscribers again, right? Really hard to do that. And it's because there's more competition out there. And so products are more catered towards people. Um, and so the opportunity is to build, find the next newsletter that can get the 250 or 500,000 subscribers really cheaply, right? Figure out a growth hack to do it, get to a quarter of a million or half a million subs, and then sell ads like Morning Brew or launch a subscription. And, and my guess, ultimately, the next Morning Brew is going to be multi-revenue streamed much earlier. Because it's going to take longer or impo- it's going to be impossible to get to millions of subscribers, you're going to have to have more revenue per user and multi-revenue streamed.
1: That's interesting. So it's basically going to be harder to grow at a massive scale, but it's more so about like hitting higher revenue numbers or like average revenue per users. This is a change in the game that you've noticed. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense too. Like almost every other person I know has a newsletter at this point, And a lot of them have like more than ten thousand, twenty thousand subscribers. So you gotta find a way to stand out from the crowd. Completely agree. Exactly. Um, yeah. And you actually mentioned so ads and then you mentioned like products on the back of the newsletter. And I think from a creator standpoint, like to me, that means like a digital product almost like, for example, for psychology marketing, I would be like, okay, like here's a guide on like psychology marketing for SaaS businesses. And I would sell that for like, 49 or 99 or something like that. What are the different like revenue streams that you see for one, like the massive media businesses that maybe not at your scale, but are striving for that. And then on the second level for like creative businesses, if you've gotten the chance to look into it.
0: Yeah, so I think like for creator businesses, right, if you keep them as a one-person business, you can do more unscalable things. You can do consulting, you can do advising, you can do courses, that stuff when you try to get to, or courses like as you as a person, right? As you get to a higher scale, it's harder to do some of those things, right? Can Morning Brew do consulting? Like maybe, but is that going to make an impact to a $100 million revenue business? Maybe not, sure. That's pro- probably yeah. not, right? Probably um, have to so- do a
1: lot of consulting for that. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so that's the thing about, again, media companies, as you scale, the opportunities to monetize, get different and it gets more difficult for big companies. It's not, the thing is it's not that, again, it's simple. There's advertising, there's direct revenue, right? You either sell to the, the audience or you sell the audience, right? Tell mm-hmm. the audience to advertisers, or you sell them tickets to events. You sell them physical products, virtual products. And what you do really depends on what the content is, like what your brand stands for.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. For, like, creators, I've been reading a lot about, for example, Packy McCormick. He started with, like, normal sponsorships. Then he started doing these editorial pieces, like, literally attributed to one crypto company. And he would make, I don't know, 15 20,000 when he was back at, like, 30,000 subscribers. So, like, Total. that's, like, a massive number. And, like, that just got me thinking, like, what are the different ways that a one-person business can monetize? And then, okay. like, you look at the larger media companies, like, you and the are like always the ones that come to mind. Cause in my head, it was like two very similar businesses. And then you'll monetize. Are you like, like you amped up the monetization completely differently, right? One went subscription, one went spreading yourself horizontally and going into all these different B2B niches. Are there any other ways or are there any other interesting like ways you've seen these massive media businesses monetize?
0: I, I think the large scale events are really interesting, right? The infatuation had EatsCon, con, that was a really interesting mm-hmm. way to monetize complex has complex con. That's a great one. Yeah. Again, it's not, like I said, not that complex, right? You sell ads or you sell products to people. Yeah. You have to do it. You have to do it. It's always tough, right? There, there are other brands doing physical products in a really interesting way. And we'll take a look at Fuck Jerry, right? They have Haha tequila and they have what do you mean? That's a great example of a company that's built two amazing, looks to be two amazing businesses off the backs of an audience.
1: What is Haha ha Jerry? Sorry, I'm thrown in the loop.
0: Oh, Fuck Jerry is a... Wow. You're showing your youth here. Fuck Jerry <laughs> is a meme account that's been popular for a long time. They have millions of followers and they own a bunch of different accounts and they launched a tequila brand called Haha ha Tequila, J A Tequila. And oh, they launched yeah. a board game called What Do You Meme? I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a very successful... Yeah, uh, no, I've board heard game. of that. Yeah, yeah. So they, I believe, have launched that.
1: Yeah, dude. Like it, It's crazy like how literally anyone is getting famous right now and then it's interesting to look at the way the creative ways in which they actually end up monetizing which makes them look so much smarter than what i would have thought you did mention something interesting like earlier you said something about unscalable things that you can do as a one person like creator what were some of the unscalable things that you and alex did early on and that you maybe still continue to do
0: yeah, early on, we did a lot of unscalable things, right? We would go from club to club and class to class at the University of Michigan, passing mm-hmm. around pieces of paper to get people to sign up for our daily newsletter. So we go to an Ecom 101 lecture that had 500, 600, 700 people in it, and we pitched pitch the class on, hey, sign up for Morning Brew. And then we'd stand around putting a piece of paper in people's faces, convincing them to sign up. And we'd be like, you know, sign up for Morning Brew. And then we would take that piece of paper and we would copy and paste their emails ourselves. Or we'd actually, we it wasn't virtual, so we'd actually have to type in person's oh, yeah. email. So, you know, things like that, right? And then we got to five or 10,000 subs and we're like, wait a minute, what if we, what if we did this at other schools? Like I have friends at, yeah. and I went to Michigan, I have friends at Penn State, friends at Indiana, friends at Wisconsin. And then we, so we tried to do unscalable things, but then we turned the unscalable, scalable.
1: Yeah, which is exactly what you should be doing. So that that turned into like the brew ambassador program. Is that right?
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then how did the brew ambassador program work?
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we were basically like, hey, like we, we want to find friends and people, at other schools who are passionate about morning brew and spread the word. And we test a lot of different types of ambassador programs, right? The first one had 12 people and we really focused on those 12 and we realized that that probably doesn't work because. Those 12 people, we picked the most motivated people. The problem is those 12 people signed up for a hundred different things. And so they were in college, they had 10 different extracurriculars. They, it didn't work, they were too busy. Then the next semester we tried the opposite we got like a thousand people and we automated everything up to a certain point. That was, hard, that, that was more successful, but it was hard to keep track of. We ended up finding the middle ground. You have a couple hundred people and you have to like prove yourself to get into a group. Like that. that for us worked the best.
1: That's interesting. I could really can relate to that. Those people who like sign up for 10 extracurriculars and then forget about the first one. I think that makes complete sense. Really? Yeah. Yeah. The middle ground makes complete sense. And then I actually want to talk more about the different things you guys did to grow the newsletter. And I don't know if you're still focused on that as of now or whether you're like focused on scaling, but what was the growth playbook like from start where you went and like literally almost forced people to sign up for the newsletter by staring them down to today? What is the... Yeah,
0: today we we don't do anything, I'd say, super unique. We we just try to get really good at everything. We do Mm -hmm. paid ads, right? Facebook, Google, Snapchat, TikTok, all the paid sources. Our referral program is still really valuable to us. We have organic partnerships. We, with other newsletters, with websites, with podcasts, we buy ads on YouTube. So we do a lot of everything, right? The important thing with growth is you always do want to be ahead of the curve right? You do always want to be one of the first on a platform. And mm-hmm. that is something that we've always tried to do is when Instagram stories ads came out, we were super, we were pretty successful there because it was not competitive. We were so early. And so I think it's, and this is not anything revolutionary, right? Growth markers yeah. always talk about it's worth taking the mm-hmm. bet of being early because you never know how good that is going to be.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think one of the other things that I think you mentioned this is the referral program. You guys are super Early to that as well. I don't think I heard about a referral program that went as like viral as the Morning Brew referral program. And I obviously have studied it because I mean I went and worked with Tyler and like in I've looked at what he's done with it. Why do you think it worked? What do you think made it so special? Was it just like another thing you guys picked on early? How do you test it before launching it? I'm just curious about that.
0: I think it worked. Cause we leaned into it. We really embraced it. We're like, look, this is a free product. The least you can do is share the newsletter with your friends. And we didn't try to hide it. We were super upfront with it and people were super engaged. And then, yeah, we tested the, we tested a ton, right? We'd map out the email drips right all across the floor. We'd print them out and be like, oh, that one leads here. And we spent a ton of time reading, A-B testing. So it was a lot of work, um, but it was super successful. Now everyone's referral program and as everyone does these things, they get less and less valuable, yeah. but yeah, in the early days, it was super valuable for us.
1: Yeah. No, I'm curious. How do you guys go about testing out? What exactly were you testing out? Was it the order? Was it the copy? Was it
0: everything? Copy, time of day, you get the, the emails, what the prizes are, who they're sent from. We test everything.
1: Interesting. Any like unusual, unique insights that you found that you still remember?
0: For anything that fit the morning brew brand work, anything that didn't. So humor worked mm-hmm. well, but no, nothing too revolutionary, right? It was just really hard work and testing. And just understanding what time of day worked so it's not, nothing crazy
1: yeah no that's i'm that's super cool i'm like a big morning brew referral program guy i have i think about 950 so like i'm close to the
0: how do you have 950 referrals how'd you get that
1: just twitter like i initially started as one of those lame thread boys where i would just be like here's 10 newsletters you should subscribe to and then i would plug morning brew at the top so i have like Like literally one thread went viral and now we're at like 900 and something. So pretty close to getting that remodel work from home station thing done. But yeah, dude, that was super cool. That's crazy. Yeah. And it was always like, I remember like initially it was, you guys would fly us down to the Morning Brew headquarters, which obviously now does not make sense. And I completely get why I'll change that. But it was dope that I still got to do that before. And I actually came to the Morning Brew headquarters like a couple of weeks ago. So that was sick. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's it man that's all the questions i have do you have any questions for me any like thing you want to end with
0: no i think if out without there any questions feel free to dm me on twitter i try to respond to as many as possible mm-hmm. it's just my name austin underscore reef this was fun it's so always get to chat i'm glad we met in person and get to chat on the podcast now yeah dude damn good fun
1: and like hopefully we can catch up soon again
0: yeah, yeah. come to new york
1: yeah it will be coming soon
0: sounds good